Welcome to Season 2 of Positivity Strategist. This season is called Appreciative Voice and Choice, in which we talk about seven literacies for living and leading in this century. I'm Robin Stratton Burkessel. And I'm Sally Lee. We're co-hosts of Season 2. This season is called Appreciative Voice and Choice, Literacies for Living and Leading in This Century. And for 10 shows, that's what we'll be talking about. Hello, Sally. I'm very excited to continue our conversation today. And welcome to all of you listening. Welcome back and thanks for joining us. And if you're listening for the first time, thank you. And a big warm welcome to you also. Hi, Robin. Great to be back in this space with you. We hope you're enjoying season two and our topic of appreciative voice and choice, where we explore seven literacies for living and leading today. In our last episode, we talked about how inviting inquiry is the key literacy for appreciative voice. Key because it's how we navigate differences of opinions or conflicts to come to a mutual understanding or an appreciation even if there's still some disagreement. Inviting inquiry is an opportunity to use our appreciative voice and it's an honouring of the other. Today's topic, reframing reality, is its twin. Reframing reality as a life literacy offers flexibility and diversity of thinking. It helps us to become increasingly aware of how we define ourselves and shape our personal and collective narratives. Reframing reality allows the usual suspects to be viewed from a different perspective. When faced with a presenting problem, one can ask, if I were to view this person or situation through a different lens, what else might I see? What else indeed, Robin? Today's literacy is so big and so relevant to appreciative voice and choice that we'll just be hitting the high spots. We'll talk about how every day we can and do shift reality. Yes, each of us does that every day. If that's so, how might we become more aware of our own shifting perspectives, perceiving what lenses we see the world through, and how we might align our ways of seeing reality with those of others? They're great skills to have that add up to a key life literacy. Especially if we can get better at doing it in the moment, it's one of the most fascinating topics we can explore. Our human perceptual capacity, which is a huge topic, is like a magnifying glass that we can move over text or images. We focus in on something and often lose awareness of what originally surrounded that magnified area. It's like cropping photos on our digital cameras, you know. We crop the image to fit our needs or our preferred view of the scene and forget the bigger picture, the rest of the pattern. When we consciously reframe, look for patterns, examine our filters and question our perceptions, we can emerge with a new picture of reality. If we share our new perceptions with others and hear theirs, we can get to a new shared reality. It can create change and movement. So Sally, I'd like to share a quick story to illustrate this point. And I call it the elevator story. And it's about um, an organization that I ended up working with, but the CEO was going down to lunch. He got into the elevator one day and a few floors down, the 
elevator door opened and three people stepped into the into the elevator and they were in a highly animated conversation and they didn't notice that the CEO was standing in the dark at the back of the elevator. Now, the topic of this conversation of the three employees was really a bit like a griping session. They were complaining about the workloads that they had. The company had just merged, in fact, and so the IT systems were not talking to each other. They complained that their managers weren't communicating effectively with them. They didn't know what was going on. They complained that um, the customers were um, not understanding their situation. So it was really a very unpleasant conversation. When they got to the ground floor, the CEO stepped forward out of the shadows and, of course, these three employees were pretty shocked um, to, to notice him. And he said to them, look, I'm, I'm very distressed and upset about what I'm hearing and I'd like to hear more. So I, after your lunch, I'd like you to get, uh, call my secretary and get on my calendar this afternoon and come to my office so I can find out more. So fast forward, they go to the office But before I tell the end of the story, and I usually do this in a training session, Sally, where, um, you know, we're talking about dealing with difficult situations. I asked the, the participants in the training class, what, how do you think this story might continue? And they come from different perspectives. Some of them talk about how the CEO might, might go forward. Some talk about the different the different um, stakeholders in the organisation, such as the managers, the staff, the IT and the customers. So they all have a different perspective about how this story might continue. You know, each player has their own version of the story. They have their own truth from how they saw what might continue. And in the meeting with the CEO that followed, He listened to their perspectives and he shared his story. He thanked them and he promised the situation would change. And together, through words and in relationship, they actually created a new reality, a shared reality this time and an expanded reality. And what had been perceived as truth, single truths, had shifted. They together had reframed what was going on when they had more information and a bigger context. That great example, Robin, helps us break this new literacy of reframing reality down a bit more. First of all, as you mentioned in your story, it shifted their reality. What is reality? There's the belief in objective physical reality, you know, that there's an actual planet we live on and that the chairs we're sitting on are actually there. But from a social constructionist perspective, And you might have heard us chat about this principle of appreciative inquiry in our last episode. From the social constructionist perspective, social reality is constantly being co-constructed in groups and communities. Every family and every organization and culture has its own particular reality or take on reality. We have our own frame, just as every individual does. When we, what we notice, pay attention to and believe in determines how we experience daily life. To flip the old adage, you know, we've all heard seeing is believing. The social constructionist view would be believing is seeing. What we believe will determine what we perceive because of the frame we're looking through. We might assume that reality is fixed, but mostly, really, it isn't. We can choose other ways of seeing, other ways of believing, 
sometimes that's easy and sometimes it takes the better part of a lifetime to rethink a belief, a habit, or an idea about what's real and true. When that happens, often we think to ourselves, why didn't I see that before? What took me so long? Our realities are in fact more malleable and pliable than we might think. And that's quite important for our relational world and our global relational world with so many cultures and belief systems in constant flux and now with our communication system in constant communication. Yes, and just as you talked about the nature of reality, Sally, um, let's just kind of unpack a little bit the term reframing because we're talking about reframing reality. If we are to reframe where do our original frames come from? You did refer to them, uh, you know, um, earlier. But, you know, what are we framing anew or again with a reframe? What informs our existing frames, our ways of seeing? And there are so many inputs and so much stimulus and so much that goes on in our lives. So there are our beliefs and our values, our ways of knowing, our habits of mind the assumptions that we have and the words that we use to express all of these to help us make sense and give meaning to our worlds. They inform our frames. And so just another quick story to illustrate this. Um, I was um, facilitating an AI summit for a big engineering firm and they were working on the topic of um, diversity and inclusion. And Within two hours of the summit after a discovery interview, and those of you who know Appreciative Inquiry will know what I'm talking about, um, one of the senior executives stood up, just voluntarily stood up and said, I've just had this amazing insight. All these years I have been tolerating diversity and inclusion and now I'm shifting to embrace it. And the silence in the room, in that big ballroom with like 300 people in the room, you could hear a pin drop. He had had this amazing insight about reframing his perspective of what diversity and inclusion meant. So that that story comes together beautifully around our framing. Reality isn't fixed and we can reframe how we're looking at it among profoundly different perspectives. What's the power of that? In terms of literacies for our times, reframing reality is the power of perspective that allows us to choose where to focus our attention in the moment. Here we are. That places us right at the crux of appreciative voice and choice. We have the opportunity to choose our focus and frame and to speak from that. If our first literacy of inviting inquiry that we talked about in our last episode If that has the concept of curiosity at its core, then reframing reality has the concept of attention at its core. What are we paying attention to? Let's expand on that for a moment. Where do we put our attention? The principles of appreciative inquiry tell us that we go in the direction of what we think about for good or ill. And we talk about what you study grows and what you focus on expands. So what you pay attention to over time is what dominates your direction and decision-making, whether that focus is positive or negative. So what will we choose to focus on? And here's one more story. (laughs) Um, The National Geographic photographer, DeWitt Jones, is on a shoot 
And this this story comes out of his um, inspirational, motivational video called Celebrate What's Right with the World. And on this shoot, he comes across this beautiful field of dandelions. It's like a yellow blanket. As far as the eye can see, all he can see is this yellow field of dandelions. And he says that he just found it beautiful and he wanted to come back and photograph it because he couldn't do it in that moment. So a few days later, he comes back to photograph this beautiful field, this yellow blanket of dandelions. And what he discovers instead is that they're all gone. And instead, there are all these puffballs, you know, those those um, those those plants that have those kind of spindly, translucent, transparent balls on them that you can puff into them and they just blow away. So did Dewitt Jones say, oh my God, I've missed my opportunity. This is terrible. No, he saw, he reframed it for himself. He saw like, here's an opportunity to photograph these magnificent puffballs. And he did all kinds of amazing things as he kind of photographed them from the ground and you could see the sun shining through. So here he is being able to choose what to focus on. He chose to focus on what was now presented to him as a beautiful sight. Any of us can become practically obsessed with a course of study, a political discourse, an art form, and it grows and grows in us, taking more and more of our attention. Our frames determine our voice, so it's good to examine our frames. Now take appreciative inquiry. I'm very conscious that I've chosen to have AI as my daily frame. I work on it. And it's my frame of how I choose to see and participate in the world and develop my social connections. Now, am I always on target in achieving my goal of living with this perspective? Well, as I said, I'm working on it, I'm getting stronger, and I fall short. There are multiple frames, and often my frames are unexamined. In fact, like many, I can be at times unaware of the frame through which I may be viewing a situation, and then it can strike me. I can have a flash of insight. From what perspective am I participating in this situation, I might ask myself. As a protective partner? As a keen colleague willing to help another? Or as a member of an ideologically aligned group of people or any other socially constructed situation? And when I get into a conversation about some controversial issues, I have to work at inviting inquiry to learn more about the perspective of others, which can lead to reframing reality for many of us. So where are we placing our attention? You know, is it on colleagues or being a protective partner, etc.? What are we paying attention to and how important is it? Many of you will be familiar with the term the attention economy. It was coined a couple of decades ago, but I want to offer a perspective from Tim Wu's 2017 book, Attention Merchants, The Epic Scramble to Get Inside Our Heads, where he says that attention is the most valuable commodity there is today. There's a lot of a competition for our attention. We see it on social media and the public domain every day. Something is constantly grabbing to attract and hold our attention and shape our thinking. Wu talks about how attention is mostly about what we're blocking out. The human brain is adept at blocking out stimuli and focusing with great success on something very particular. For example, we might be able to listen closely to a soccer match on TV while sitting in a very noisy airport terminal or a sports bar. We take that for granted, but it's quite a feat when you think about it. We focus on what we want to see or hear or what we expect to hear, and we block out the rest. That depends on our frames. 
how and where we focus our attention, our conversation, and our energy aligns with how we view the world. So, for example, do I see the world as a good or a bad place? A harsh or beautiful place? Do I see my experiences generally as positive or negative? My view determines what I block out and what I let in, how I interpret events. Is it more important to look at problems or solutions? Do I live with hope or pessimism? Most of us have elements of both as we interact with our worlds, and they're very personal to our experiences. Here's an example. When I was in graduate school in international relations, it amazed me that many courses on peace mostly studied wars, really, and their outcomes rather than what caused peace to break out. And this was a view. This was a way of looking at the world, a frame of looking at the world that had persisted for a very long time. So we look at and frame what we're used to. That's where we put our attention. Yes, Sally, and I think it also speaks to the fact that, you know, we we have this default focus of we tend to go to the things that we don't want rather than what we do want. And here are two other uh, quick examples of that, particularly in organisational context. So we tend to focus on weaknesses and deficits rather than the strengths and assets in an organisation when we want to build capacity. Or we conduct surveys and inquire into low employee morale when what's really wanted is to increase employee engagement and retention. So all this speaks to where we put our attention. What's our choice of topic or perspective? In what direction do we go? And what causes shifts? Let's look at some really big societal frames and reframes for a moment. How do they happen? How have they happened? And I think it gives us some insight. There have been huge shifts in cultural frame and focus, and they are crafted in conversation in what we read and write and in somehow overwhelming an old concept or belief through new information, examples, and mostly through new stories about how things are and how people are. The new frame may be eventually formed into legislation at some point, but the shifts begin and become commonplace through what people choose to talk about and focus on. If you think about it, we've all participated in world-shaping conversations at some point in our lives and perhaps all through our lives in one way or another. So here's an example. See if you if, if it fits for you. There's been the shift in ideas about women's capabilities and role. Think back to the historical extension of the vote to women in the United States and other countries, something that overturned generations of so-called truth, that women couldn't understand issues well enough to vote, that we were incapable of being part of public discourse. The ongoing shift that started a long time ago has impacted the workplace, female educational opportunities, our governing bodies, and its impacted family life. The majority of frames about women have shifted and are continuing to shift. And like with the dissolution of racism, the pace can feel unbearably slow at times, at least it does to me. But we have all, each of us, been part of that shift, world shaping through our thoughts and conversations. Yes, and that brings up, Sally, to another um, more recent example, the frame around gay rights leading to same-sex marriage and the entire LGBTQ community. This shift has happened with relative speed, it would seem, in the past decade or so, but it's after so many years of struggle, persecution and injustices. 
And let's also bring in the Me Too movement, where women are finding their voice to speak up against abusive sexual power. These are huge examples of major reframes in our social justice system, and they are helping us all to reconsider our mindsets, our beliefs, and the language we use and the behaviours we have about the roles of men and women and others living in society together. And there are so many more examples. For example, our relationship with animals, with the earth, with our health, with illness, with safety and security in our world, just to name a few. And we are changing the narrative around these big societal issues. Yes, and there are big concerns for people on all sides of the issues. We tend to only want to hear from those who think as we do and agree with us. And that bubble effect can keep solutions that might serve everyone from being worked on. We stay in debate rather than dialogue, and that tends to reinforce rather than shift our frames. So what does help us reframe something? Let's think about that for a minute. Think of a time when you changed your perspective on something important. What caused the shift for you? I was trying to think back And a time came to mind that was years ago when I was doing volunteer work for The Hunger Project, an organization that really works on changing mindsets um, and frames around the issue of hunger. It helped me see the reality of the world, that the reality of the world wasn't fixed around poverty and starvation. I lived in Latin America and had witnessed some terrible suffering in the big cities and out in the countryside. After a while, I felt helpless to do anything, even though I volunteered there and tried to find ways to help people uh, around us. But I had no sense of possibility until I came in touch and in contact with The Hunger Project. We went through some pretty rigorous training with The Hunger Project about improvements in statistics over a 100-year period. And it was clear that great progress was being made. And It was also clear how much the poorest people were doing to better their own lives. In a very short space of time, with that new information and hearing so many stories of success, my frame changed to one of hope and direction toward what each one of us could do to have an impact. It gave me new context, and I continued to work uh, with The Hunger Project, training school children and churches on the real facts of hunger and lobbying Congress for more effective legislation to impact hunger in the United States. That that one reframe led me to work with microcredit programs that helped people below the poverty line, especially women, access credit to start small businesses. It was life-changing. And it the shift occurred by my getting access to new stories, new information, and new conversations. Yeah. Yes, Sally, that speaks to the need for us to really understand other cultures and to go there and experience what's going on, as opposed from sitting in an ivory tower or sitting in a great organisation where we're removed from the reality to actually really begin to experience and hear other people's stories and their realities. That's a beautiful story. Um, one came to mind for me, and it's not a personal story, it's not something that I experience, but it had a powerful lasting impact. And um, I just want to share it. It comes from Stephen Covey's hugely successful book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and I'm sure you would know it, and I'm sure all our listeners do too. So this story was that with some kids on a subway train were making a racket and were totally out of control. They were racing around and yelling and screaming and disturbing all the other passengers. 
And there was this adult man sitting close to them, but he had his eyes shut and he wasn't interfering, he wasn't trying to quieten them or stop their unruly behaviour. And when another passenger challenged him and asked him to control these young people, this man opened his eyes in a dazed state and said that, yes, he was sorry, he should do something, but they had just come from the hospital where their mother had died, and that was about an hour ago. He guessed that these kids were upset and didn't know how to handle it either. So we could say, Sally, that this story, which was there to illustrate a paradigm shift, is, is about reframing reality. The man who, who was there and the passengers on the train had a real shift in understanding what was going on. You know, when we start noticing frames, ours and others, we see them everywhere. We see how attached we are to our versions of reality and how attached others are. We notice our tendencies to go for the dialectic, placing one point of view in contrast to another, rather than looking at what we might hold in common. So are we reinforcing our frames and the frames we find and notice, or are we shifting them? So that's something to keep asking ourselves. Are we reinforcing frames, shifting them, or what frames do we want to reinforce? Yeah, so how do we train ourselves to step back and see our frames more clearly? How can we become daily observers of our own behaviour? You know, we're back to the idea of dailyfication that we spoke about in our last episode, finding ways to develop and practice our abilities every day. And as we become wise stewards of our thoughts and consider our frames and perspectives, we also become better stewards of our voices and our choices Seeing our frames and getting better at seeing those of others can help us find the right voice to have conversations, to find common and higher ground together with someone that perhaps in the past we may have written off. Seeing our frames can be freeing. Sometimes it can be painful. And when we perceive our own biases and prejudices, you know, I've, I've had that, that rock me to the core a few times and it really creates a shift. Perhaps if we would become more adept at it, we could help others look at their frames as well. So what reality can we frame together? And here are some examples and some prompts to help us notice where we put our attention, to notice what are our frames. So you might ask yourself, when I watch the news, what's my frame? When I go on Facebook, how am I focusing and framing my work this week? What do I want or need to pay attention to? What do I find myself thinking about? Who am I hanging out with and how am I holding the space with them? What do we talk about together? Where do I get my information from? Who and what do I read and watch and listen to? And what shifts my frame? What influences me? What data, stories, friends or experts or the media or my own research? Those are such great self-examination questions. Here are a few ways we've been experimenting with to consciously reframe when it's important. Those were great examples you just gave us, uh, Robin, for self-examination. So when stakes are high and the time may be short, there may be some ways that we can grab for right in the moment. 
Think of those community, city council, or homeowners association meetings you attend where a well-considered question or story might make a difference, might shift something. Or getting to the same side of the net with a family member or neighbor when it matters, um, when it matters that you be able to understand each other and respect each other's points of views better. Finding a shared glimpse of a possible positive future when all that we've been seeing is one brick wall after another in front of us. All those are situations that we find in our daily lives. Here are three in the moment ideas to shift a conversation and a frame. Try them on for size. We only have time to briefly introduce three today. To go deeper on these and to learn more, we'll be offering a masterclass on the literacies for living and leading in our times. So stay tuned. Right now, let's look quickly at flipping, stretching, and dropping. First of all, flipping. With appreciative inquiry and positive psychology in our backgrounds, of course, most of us know the wonderful practice of taking a problem and consciously choosing a strength-based, solution-focused frame. We flip a problem to its positive opposite. Looking at the positive opposite and heading in that direction. Focusing on the positive and looking for what's working and what's possible. Here's an example. Communication is terrible around here. We've heard that in lots of situations. So we could ask ourselves, what's the positive opposite? What's the opposite of terrible communication? Good communication. Great. Where have you seen it around here and what do you want more of? That's the place to go next. If the positive opposite is good communication, think about where have you seen some good communication around here and what would we like more of? Let's start looking and defining the frame and the, and the ideas of what we want more of. Try it today. Do you have another example? Well, no, but I just wanted to re- reinforce that, you know, even that very simple question, that frame of what do we want more of, um, that can really shift and find out new information. So I think that's just a key one. That's a great way to flip. I just think it's such an easy when you get when you get some practice with it, it's such an easy way to take a situation and make it possibly better to start looking more at what's possible and what we want more of, as you said, mm. than just let's keep defining how bad the problem is. Right. Yeah. Yep. So that's a good one. So here's another idea that you can use in the moment um, to help reframe. And that is what we're calling stretching. So stretching is about looking for a generative mutual frame that accommodates two or more points of view. Now, a quick way to do this is to envision thinking of andings, like andings, something that our friend Marge Schiller came up with. It's not this or that, but it's this and that. It's a bit like using improv skills, right? So what outcome or vision can we mutually desire and commit to if we keep doing the andings rather than it's not possible or buts. So here's an example. So what instead of arguing about whether creating jobs is more important than protecting the environment, we were to stretch our frames to include both. What if we work together on creating a vibrant economy that could do both, create jobs and have no negative environmental impact. Great for us all now and great for future generations. Try that one today, stretching. And a third in the moment uh, approach, something we can do is, uh, we call it right now, dropping. In a difficult divisive situation, 
This doesn't have to be something at the level of a public issue. It can be finding yourself at odds with your teenager. Try moving from advocacy to inquiry, from your position to exploration. Just take that position you're holding and drop it. Consciously drop your, your attachment to your point of view, not forever perhaps, but long enough to really listen with undivided attention to the other perspective. I imagine everyone listening has had the experience of someone truly listening to you. It's magical, isn't it? Mm. That moment where we have the opportunity here to give someone else the floor, to ask the other person or group to explain what they want why it makes sense, how they see a particular topic or issue, how they see making it work, and then sitting back and listening. Here's an example from my own life. Our dog slipped her collar and attacked the neighbor's dog, injuring him very badly. That dog was also off its leash at the time. So within a few days, accusations and threats of lawsuits were flying back and forth. And we realized we had a big problem on our hands. So we finally wrote to them. We wrote them a note and asked if we could sit down and hear their perspective. When we heard it fully, we realized that it made sense and told them so. Then, because there was some room now in the conversation, they also apologized to us and we were able to mutually make some workable agreements about costs and future safety for our dogs. It came from dropping our position. So... Drop your position and listen. Try it today. Mm-hmm. That's great. The willingness and ability to look at your lens and see what your filters might be takes practice. It takes practice to see that what we're advocating and believing in is a perspective, a frame. But it elevates how we choose to use our voices, how reframing reality elevates appreciative voice every day. How can that knowledge help you voice your choice? Wow. This is such a big conversation, Sally, and there's so much more that we can talk about. And if you remember from our last episode on inviting inquiry, we asked the audience, the people listening in, to consider where they see themselves on that continuum of of literacy. Let's do the same thing this time with reframing reality. On our show notes page, and that is appreciativevoice.com, you can look again at the continuum and place yourself somewhere along it. Think about How agile am I at reframing reality? How comfortable am I with shifting perspective and inviting others to go along with me, stretching my frame? And then place yourself somewhere between 1 and 10 along that line. So where do you fit? And we would love to hear what you're thinking. Also, remember the question we discussed earlier about a time when you changed your perspective or your frame on something important, where we looked at what caused that shift? We'd like to hear stories from you about a big reframe that you might have had and what allowed you to make that shift. To find more questions and tips, head on over to the show notes page for this episode to access more resources, including our new emerging graphic showing the seven literacies. Just go to appreciativevoice.com. Next time, we'll focus on the literacy of kindling kindness, the compassionate voice, so important to becoming literate in appreciative voice and choice. Choosing kindness is a lifelong path of mastery, and we can find daily ways to foster kindness, greater reflection, and mindfulness in our daily interactions. Some of you are already experts. 
If you're finding value in this show, please head on over to iTunes and give us a rating and a review. That will help us be more easily found and more people will find out about appreciative voice and choice and appreciative inquiry too. So when you're speaking into that microphone of life, it's good to consider your frame, your perspective, what you think is true and where you want your attention to be. The only way our world is reshaped is by what we focus on and what we say. Remember, it's your choice to find and express your appreciative voice. Thanks so much, Robin, for today. Ditto, Sally. It's always such great fun talking with you on this amazing topic. Thank you. (laughs) It's a joy to get it good. (laughs) 